Well, good morning. Is it uh, too soon to say Merry Christmas? I feel like we're past Thanksgiving now, so um, uh, a very early Merry Christmas here. It's coming, and uh, it's official because the trees are up. The Christmas series, The Journey, is underway. And when I think about the holidays, um, there's lots of things I think about, whether it's Thanksgiving or Christmas. But one thing that kind of comes to mind quite often is travel of some sort. Maybe you've just got back from visiting someone for Thanksgiving. Maybe you took a trip back home uh, or you took a trip to grandma's. Maybe you spent Thanksgiving with um, the in-laws and all the crazy cousins and kids and uh, whoever else makes up your family dynamic. And, And it can be fun to travel at the holidays and see family and friends and loved ones. As long as the travel goes without any hitches, uh, I hope your Thanksgiving, if you traveled, didn't end up anything like uh, the travel experience for these two guys. Uh, some of you may remember the difficult journey they took on uh, their holiday travels. But in this series, The Journey, we're actually going to go back 2,000 years, and we're going to look at four different journeys that took place around the Christmas story. There was a journey that Mary had to take, the shepherds, the wise men, and there was even a journey that Jesus himself took when he he came from heaven to earth to be born an infant in Bethlehem. So as we look at these different journeys over the next four weeks, we're not just going to look at how it impacted the individuals in those individual accounts. We're going to say, how can we learn from them? As we look at the journey of the shepherds or the wise men, how can we learn 2,000 years later from their experience? So this morning, I want to start out by looking at the journey that Mary had to take. We learn about her journey in Luke chapter 2 in the first five verses. It says, at that time, the Roman emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea. This was his ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee, and he took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. So Mary, we discover, is on this journey to Bethlehem, pregnant with a baby. Now, for me, growing up in England, in grade school, we used to do these things called nativity plays, and uh, basically it was all the kids would get dressed up, and we put on a play for the parents, and we would tell the nativity story. So I remember very clearly this part of the story, because there was always the part of the story where Mary got to, to travel to Bethlehem, and there was normally someone was dressed up as Mary, someone was dressed up as Joseph, someone was dressed up as the donkey. Uh, there was di- different things that each kid got to play. I was probably about the age of one of these kids right here. And as I was thinking back to it, I realized that all I can remember about my nativity play is decorating these yogurt pots with sparkly stuff so that when we uh, got to the donkey section, as he came in, I clip-clopped with the yogurt pots. I, I, was, I was the sound effect for the donkey. I wasn't even the donkey, let alone the wise man or Joseph. I was a sound effect. So that was my role in the nativity play, but it normally happened around the time of this song we would sing called Little Donkey, Little Donkey on the Dusty Road. And then the, verse, the last verse would say, uh, Little Donkey had a heavy day. Little Donkey carry Mary safely on her way. And it was this song about this journey that Mary was upon. But why was Mary even on this journey in the first place? Well, we find out a little bit before that that God had an amazing plan for her life that she had no idea of. 
She was this ordinary young girl living in the back of beyond place called Nazareth. And we read in chapter 1, verse 26, that in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be, the very, he will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never reign. end. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I'm a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son, and she is now in her sixth month. For the word of God will never fail. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. What we're going to discover this morning is that Mary's response was, was incredible. In fact, this is what we this morning can learn, uh, especially if we're followers of Jesus, from Mary's response. I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. You see, Mary's journey to Bethlehem wasn't the first journey she took. Prior to that, she took another journey of about 70 miles to visit her cousin, Elizabeth, who the angel had told her was also pregnant. When she gets there, she greets Elizabeth. Elizabeth tells Mary this amazing news of how she's pregnant. Mary says, so am I. We learn that when they share this news, Elizabeth's baby jumps in the womb, and there's just this connection. Elizabeth's baby goes on to be John the Baptist, who prepares the way for Jesus when he's an adult. So there's this incredible connection between these two families. But when Mary tells Elizabeth the story, Elizabeth says to Mary, you are blessed because you believed that the Lord would do what he said. So what does she mean by that? You are blessed because you believed that the Lord would do what he said. Well, you see, Zechariah, Elizabeth's husband, had also had a visit from an angel. The angel told Zechariah, your wife will have a baby. And instead of believing what the angel said, listen to how Zechariah responded. In verse 18, Zechariah said, how can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now. My wife is also well along in years. You know, if you continue to read that story, you find out that Zechariah was then struck dumb. He couldn't speak another word until the baby was born. And Elizabeth uses this moment to say, hey, I saw how my husband responded when the angel visited him. He doubted, he questioned, he said, are you sure? But Mary... When the angel told you, your response was, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. That's what I think we can learn from the journey that Mary found herself upon. Is that her response, when, when things took a turn, when things changed direction, where, where she was surprised that God was taking her in a different direction than she ever could have imagined, her response was, God, I trust you. I believe that you have a plan. I believe that you're going to use this new direction you're taking me in for some great thing. And Elizabeth saw that in Mary. And she said, you are blessed because you believed that the Lord would do what he said. You know, this morning I wanted to take some time in the service and, and talk to a friend of mine from this community. Somebody who has been on an incredible journey 
over the last 12, 15 years. Someone who many of you will actually be connected to somehow. You may know this young lady from Washington. She lives here, her and her husband in Washington. Her kids go to school here. You may have bumped into her at school. She had a son whose name was Dax. And we're going to learn a little bit more about Dax this morning. Julie Lockmore, who's joining us this morning, is now the um, president of the Dax Foundation. And through this foundation has raised hundreds of thousands of dollars, literally hundreds of thousands of dollars over the last 10 years. Some of you may have been to Dax Fest or Dally for Dax. Some are just some of the, the fundraisers that she's done over the years. Your kids may have been, you may have donated. You may not even fully understand what it was you were donating to. So this morning, you're going to learn because you're going to get to hear an incredible story of an incredible journey that this young lady has been on. So would you join me in welcoming to the stage this morning, Julie Lockmore. Hello. Hello, good morning. How are you? Really good. Good. So I'd asked Julie a while back if she would come and join us in one of our services, and this was the perfect service because of some things that are going on in her life right now that we're going to hear about here that are coming up in just a few weeks, uh, but also some of the connections that we've had as a church over the years with her and her family. Um, but there's many of us here this morning that maybe you're familiar with DaxFest or with uh, the Dax Foundation, but you don't know the story. So Julie, take us back to 2007 when Dax was born, and just tell us a, a, a quick story of those first few years of his life. Yeah, we had just recently moved to Washington two weeks after Dax was born. He was healthy when he was born, almost 10 pounds, and um, the love of my life, that's for sure. I was smitten. <laughs> By the time Dax turned one, though, he had really suffered a lot with just normal childhood illnesses, ear infections, um, fevers, colds, and I could just never get him better. We would go to pediatricians and doctors, and um, they would say, it's just normal. Everybody goes through this, and, and I believed that, and we just pushed through, and um, by the time his first birthday hit, there was something about that day. He was in his crib, and I couldn't get him to wake up, and that, for those of you who are parents, um, you know that that's for a one-year-old, that's not normal. I had to literally pick him up and carry him out before I could even get him to wake up. It was a really hard first birthday, but we went to the birthday party anyway, and after the birthday party, um, that was the last moment as I was sharing with you that, that we were outside, um, truly just outside with no wires and no lines, and you take those moments for granted sometimes, um, just in the day-to-day. -day, we forget the blessings that we have, just in the simple things, and I remember as being together with my family um, outside at the park that day. We left the party, and Dax was admitted into the hospital that day in Peoria, um, at the time, I wasn't a believer. I grew up in a church, and I wanted nothing to do with religion. I was so turned off by it. I didn't understand, and um, it was a bother to me. And so I had nothing to lean on at that time besides these doctors and physicians and my emotions, which, as we all know, are like the wind. You know, they come and go, and, 
It was a really hard time. When Dax was admitted, it took us a month in three hospitals to figure out what was wrong. We were transferred from one hospital in Peoria to the next and then on to Iowa City where we've come to find out the diagnosis that he had a rare type of leukemia and it wasn't one that was treatable at the time and definitely not in Iowa City. So Iowa City talked through with me that they could keep us there and keep Dax comfortable and I was not settled. I had spent a month of of really hard, hard days with my one-year-old in the hospital and, and people trying to find out what was wrong. Um, one day in Iowa City that I'll always remember, and one of the reasons we'll touch on in, in a little bit is uh, there was a Ronald McDonald house in Iowa City, and it had been several weeks since I had laid in a bed. I had laid flat in a bed and had any more than an hour of sleep at a time. Um, tired isn't even, wasn't even in my vocabulary. When you are, you have that type of adrenaline and you have an infant that is ill, as you know who are parents, you don't get to sleep. And I was tired. And I arrived at that Ronald McDonald house and I remember the feeling of carpet under my feet for the first time because I had been in a hospital for so long. And I remember a bed that I could just lay flat on with sheets that weren't hospital sheets. And I slept so hard. And the rest that that room, I remember the room with the color of the walls and, and, the, and that carpet. But the rest that that room provided for me to go back to that hospital and pursue um, what was to follow was, was just a gift, and I'm forever thankful for that. And then you were at this, hospitals were there for a short while, Iowa City, and staying at that house, but then um, things changed again. Yes. Yeah. That um, a gentleman came in my room in Iowa City, and he said, ma'am, I'm a, I'm a dad, and if I were you, I would go to St. Jude. They have an opening for you. And without hesitation, I said yes. And within six hours, St. Jude sent a private airplane and picked up Dax and his dad and flew them down to Memphis, Tennessee, while I drove the car underneath um, them so I could go home and pack up the car for our journey. They told me that I would be going there for three months is what they told me um, with this precious little boy in those yeah. eyes. Uh, um, what was really neat and what I hope you all can um, really grasp this image, when Dax was flying in that plane that St. Jude sent, the Memphis to Peoria run was literally running right underneath his plane from Peoria to Memphis. And that was the, the, the route we were taking. That is where we were going. And these people who went before me to raise this money were, were running for us. And they were right underneath Dax's plane. And I found that out when I arrived at St. Jude. And it didn't hit, I didn't really understand at that point. I was 23 years old, very young and, and very um, selfish. I'd never given to a charity before in my life. Never cared about um, others outside of myself, to be quite honest with you. Um, 
So we arrive. And let me sorry, yeah. so I was going to say one of the one of the reasons I wanted Julie to come. And, there's many reasons why I wanted to hear your story this morning, but one of them was because I know that many Connect families have been involved in one way or another through St Jude runs. Maybe some of you have volunteered and shaken the cans, just made donations. But maybe many of you, like Julie, it's been something that you know does good, but you have no experience mm-hmm. specifically at this hospital. Well, all that changed, obviously, uh, years ago when now suddenly you arrive at this hospital. Um, but tell us about the experience when you got there, what it was like. And yeah, there's a couple, couple things that, that took my breath away. When I first walked into the hospital, I remember it was like 4 o'clock in the morning and this massive campus. I'm so overwhelmed when I get there. And they lead me into this small building that was in the front. That ended up being the hospital actually where the patients stay. All of the buildings around it were all research labs Mm. where all these scientists from all over the world were there researching and studying childhood cancer. And I didn't know that at the time. And I, and I walk in, it's four o'clock in the morning and I'm, you know, a mom, like bags everywhere. And, and I see Dax's dad is asleep on the couch and there's a nurse rocking my baby in a rocking chair. I remember her arms, how she was holding him and he was sleeping on her, but she wanted to keep him settled until I got there. And in that moment, my guard fell down. I felt again at rest and at peace and safe in this place that um, was definitely foreign to me. Mm-hmm. Memphis, Tennessee was not <laughs> anything I'd ever experienced right. before. So uh, that was my first taste from the airplane to that. And then the next day you meet your doctor and they tell you to call him by his first name, Jeff. And he, they give me his cell phone number mm-hmm. and tell me I can call him anytime. Things like that. St. Jude um, Children's Research Hospital is phenomenal. Um, I, I can say nothing but superior yeah. to the care that I received yeah. and the attention to detail. And I think you told me that much like Iowa City, St. Jude also has opportunities for families who are there. Because obviously you don't go there for a couple of days. I mean, you're there for the long haul. So you're away from home. But they try and provide an experience where you can stay somewhere that feels a little more comfortable than the sterile hospital room. So, and you get to yeah. meet other families through that. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, and so right when I arrived at St. Jude, there was a woman named Michelle that, that came to my room and was connected through our doctors. And her daughter had the same disease as Dax. And the first day I met her, she told me she loved me. And that's another one of those moments that's always stuck in my heart, and there was something different about her. And she also encouraged me to go over to the housing where she was staying, and I'm like, no, I'm good. I'll I'll probably get an apartment or something if we have to stay. And she's like, no, just come eat with me. And so we went over to the Ronald McDonald house, um, jumped on a shuttle and went over there, and I sat down at a table, and that is where I met my tribe. Mm. I... uh, you know, the Lord uses suffering in a way that is supernatural and not comfortable. Let me tell you that. Um, I sat down at that table just full of poor me. Like, I, my son's body is full of cancer. I, there's nothing that these other places can do. There's, you know, I'm just hopeless, literally. And then a woman across from me that Michelle introduces me to. Her husband had just passed from cancer and then her little girl was just diagnosed. In that moment, immediately, I had empathy. Mm. 
it hit me. I felt um, like I had it better. And then Michelle um, shared with me, she had two children at home that she had to leave that were missing their mom. And I'm like, I can't imagine leaving another child um, here. So Mm -hmm. that moment um, forever changed my heart was when um, we were forced to come together in this time of suffering, all these strangers, this camaraderie. We came together, and I believe that is where the healing of your heart really, truly begins. And something that amazes me through your story and all this is you've gone down here, you grew up with a church background, but had kind of closed that door, you know, didn't like the religion part of it. But now you meet this lady who is a follower of Jesus, who tells you that she loves you, who you see something different in, and then you connected with other uh, Christians down there as well. They had an impact on you, didn't they? She did, because like I said, religion like just pushed me away. Like I didn't understand I didn't understand why I would spend my time doing that. And, um, but what Michelle had that was different was she had, it was her character. It wasn't her religion that run me over. She never said scripture to me or told me Bible stories or any of that. It was her presence mm. and her peace and her grace and how she dealt with me during that time because I wanted nothing to do with that. Not until I accepted the Lord was I ready to hear scripture and did it feed me and did I long for it. Before that, it was not something that appealed to me. Mm. And she had a maturity to understand that. And through her, Jesus drew me to him in my um, longing for that type of life um, really blossomed from her. So I know towards the end of your time at St. Jude's, there came a point where the doctors told you that really they had tried everything they could and now really the only option you had left was to return home with your son and spend the remainder of the time you had with him back at home with family. Uh, You'll tell us a little bit more about that in a second, but another connection I want to make to people in our church, but even to us as a community here in Washington, is that when you came home, it was the fall, and uh, I, you weren't even sure if he would make it to Christmas. But he loved Christmas, and the community got wind of that, and they decided we want to make sure that he gets to experience Christmas. So it was October, and everyone in Washington was decorating their homes. I mean, if you didn't live around here, you'd have no idea what was going on in this crazy community. <laughs> All the lights are up and everything. And not just that, there was actually a time in October where a group, a lot of people from the community came and and Christmas caroled outside your home. Such an amazing story that they even made a movie about it starring a guy called Matthew West. And uh, I pulled a little clip from the trailer of that movie uh, to to show any of you who don't know this story. So check this out. You know it's Halloween, right? Not at this house. Dax loves Christmas. Decorating early. Someone feel up. Uh, 
I remember that night, my wife and I and the kids, we were there on your lawn. Um, yeah. I know, I didn't realize it either until we were talking about it. Apparently, my kids, I talked to Ben and Will, they remember being there, they remember singing the carols. Um, we were working at a church in Peoria at that point, so we were just neighbors, stood, stood on your uh, front lawn. But a good friend of mine who was a pastor in the community, uh, he got to come and pray at that event as everyone was there gathered, Carolyn. And uh, that guy went on to be a pastor at another church here in Washington. His name is Andy Brown. And uh, he was there on your lawn praying. But uh, tell us about that night, because I know there's a couple of cool things happened just in that experience of that community gathering there. There's not a lot that I do remember. I think that's kind of a blessing from the Lord. But the two things that I remember very clearly is Jim Maloof was the mayor of Peoria, and he was on my front lawn when I opened the door, held up by people, because he was really old and could hardly stand, and he was just belting out Christmas carols <laughs> and making everybody with his megaphone and, and making everybody join in and... He, I, I come to find out during that time, he was one of the original founders of St. Jude Children's Research Hospital with Danny Thomas back 50 years before me. He was one of those people, like those runners and all the people who run now, that went before me to help support um, this wonderful cause. So, and then also, there was a girl, and um, Jess... Brown, actually, Andy's wife, was on my front porch. And like he said, there was, I'm sorry, I don't remember you there. But, um, <laughs> but there was so many people and I, um, I had Dax on me and he didn't want me, he, he really didn't like people from everything he went through. Sure. He just really wanted me. But Jess came to me and she just got down in front of me and I just remember her face. I remember her eyes looking into my eyes, and she just got down humbly and quietly in front of me. She didn't tell me a Bible story about why God gave me this suffering and all this stuff. She just got down low in front of me, and her grace and her peace just in her demeanor um, is something that I still remember to this day and will always cherish, and I hope to have the maturity and the character that you had um, for someone else that's going through that yeah. someday. I wouldn't expect you to remember me. I was just in the crowd, but I did have some yoga pots. I was doing some sound effects <laughs> to the carols. You may remember me as the guy with the donkey sound. It's something I do quite well. <laughs> so, Judy, one of the... the, the I, I keep saying this, there are several reasons I, was, I wanted Julie to be a part of our service this morning. So many stories, so many connections to our church, so many amazing things. But one of the big things is what's going on in your life right now, what this has led to. Obviously, we're talking about something 12 years ago. Um, it wasn't long after that Christmas carolin that Dax finally passed away. Mm -hmm. But from there, God took you on a new journey now. Um, through these connections, you found a relationship with Jesus. Mm -hmm. And out of that, he started to take you on this journey. And like Mary, as I said earlier, blessed is the person who, who chooses to follow God, who chooses to find God in this and see purpose and see his direction. And you did that. And over the last 12 years, whether it's Dax Fest or uh, all the other things, raising money for St. Jude and just such a lot you've done over the years, 
Just that alone is an incredible story. But then a few years ago, because of your experience at that Ronald McDonald house, you started to have this kind of dream and this passion to want to see something similar in Peoria. So tell us what happened there. Yeah, so five years ago, um, I actually gave my life to the Lord six years ago, so I call myself a (laughs) six-year-old. But um, about that time, the Lord put a desire on my heart that that we needed that here. We have a St. Jude Clinic here in our Peoria Hospital, and, and I know that hospitals heal the body, but I knew that this house was needed for these families' hearts. I know that those women who helped draw me in to um, a relationship with Christ, um, it is so necessary for these families to have. So I, the, the Lord pushed this on my heart and I said, Lord, this is not, no longer about me, this is about you. So if this is what needs to be done and you open all the doors, I will be obedient. And one by one, he opened every single door, every single roadblock we came up against. And we proved the need um, with a study of U of I that 700 families a year are traveling to our area with their children to not only use our St. Jude Clinic, but OSF, NICU, um, Methodist, Easter Seals. These families are traveling here, and 700 families are in need Mm. of a place to stay outside of the resources we already have. And the Ron McDonald House is free. Mm. If you stay there for one day, if you stay there for five years, there's no charge for families to stay here. So if you can even imagine just the the blessing of that burden being lifted. So you went on a journey to get this building built. Yes, I did. And so we had to then, you know, raise the money for this house. And, and it was a big bill. I've never, never raised $8 million before. <laughs> so we set a lot on a journey and um, the Lord provided land and provided a team of people that, that believed in, in this need and um, came we've, alongside of us. We've got an architectural rendering of what the building yeah. will eventually look like. Yeah, there it is. There it is. And... This house will open in 15 days. 15 days. On December 16th. So if you drive downtown to Peoria right now and head up towards the hospitals, right there opposite Obed and Isaacs, if you know where that restaurant is downtown, this is there. Yeah. (laughs) And one of the coolest things is you're looking at this picture that you know my story now and how those women, how I met those women there, and that's where we lived together, and that's where we had fellowship in those living rooms and in that kitchen space. The most beautiful thing that I think about Rod McDonald House is that there's 22 suites that we finished in this house and five families, can, five people can sleep in each suite. Wow. But there's not a kitchen in your room. So you have to come downstairs and eat together. You have to come downstairs and be fed by volunteers. 365 days a year, groups come in and feed these kids and these families. You have to get out and experience the love mm. of the Lord and, um, and suffer together. 
it's, it's kind of forced. This is a way that we can get involved, right? If there was a family here this morning or an individual here this morning that wants to be a part of that, who wants to show up and cook a meal and visit, that's, you're looking for people now in this area to be a part of that, right? Yeah. So like I said, 365 days a year, we serve three hot meals a day. And so if your family wants to come, your business wants to come, church groups, anybody can come and cook in our community kitchen and then serve the meal to the families. And we've got information about that in the foyer, and you can talk to Julie about that afterwards as well. But again, so many connections. There are business owners who attend Connect, who helped uh, donate labor and material for this building. We have a wonderful family in our church. We pull their picture up right now, Dave and Kathy Matthews, if we've got that next picture. There they are. Yeah. It's a great couple here. So these were, um, this family has generously donated the family room where those families will just sit on the couches and talk together about their children's suffering. So this family has really been a true blessing to our whole community if you know them. And if you haven't, I'm sure you'll meet them soon because their hands are everywhere. They live to serve in such great role models for this community. And serve here at Connect, run our financial peace class. Yeah. Uh, brilliant couple. There's another family from Connect who right now are down in Memphis, and uh, she just contacted uh, one of our staff members this week and was just talking about the, the help, the healing, the, the community experience of living in this house down there, what it's doing, because she's got other kids who are here with yes. her husband. She's down there with her son, uh, Courtney Fry, and her son, Reed, are down there, and um, again, was speaking about the difference it makes to have a tribe that she can connect to down there. Mm -hmm. So honestly, I, this lady is amazing. She, she keeps saying it's not me, it's God, but she is amazing. She's done so much. And then to help champion this great house to be built, um, I just think it's incredible the journey that God has got you on. But I asked Julie if she would do me one favor to close out our service this morning. And I said, you know, we're all going to be inspired by your story and this journey that, that God has got you on. But I know that this wasn't the journey that you planned 12 years ago. This isn't what you had in mind. Just like Mary, that wasn't the, the journey she was expecting to go on. But God took her on this journey. She was blessed because she trusted God as she went on that journey. So I was talking to Julie this week saying it must be amazing to think of where you are now versus where you were 12 years ago when you had Dax. And she said she'd like to read a letter that she's written from herself today to herself 12 years ago. Yeah, so this letter is a letter that I would have written to myself the day that Dax was born. Dear Julie, Dax's life is going to give you greater gifts than you could ever have imagined but not in a way that you would have ever chosen. Today he was born perfectly healthy and strong and your heart is full. Dwell in this season as long as you can keep your eyes open. Read him books, sing to him, kiss his small hands and feet, hold him too much. Listen to him giggle and I promise that you won't regret it. On Dax's first birthday, everything is going to come undone, and long-suffering will begin. The physical, emotional, and spiritual emptiness will become all-consuming. You will be transferred to three different hospitals over one month because no one will know what to do. Relief is coming. St. Jude will send an airplane and transport Dax to your new home in Memphis, Tennessee. At the exact same time, Dax is up in the air in that plane. 
there'll be a group of St. Jude runners underneath Dax's plane, running from Memphis back to Peoria to raise money for this battle you will be facing. Be still, Julie. Your first day at St. Jude will blow your heart away when you quickly realize there's hope. This hope will come to life as you meet the care teams who travel from all over the world to care for your child. Your doctor will ask you to call him by his first name, give you his cell phone number, bring his family in on his days off to meet you, and demand that you call him at any hour of the day. This hope will become greater as you meet a woman named Michelle, whose daughter Elizabeth will have the same exact disease as Dax. Michelle is different than most people you know, and much different than any friend you would have ever chosen to do this with. You will watch her day in and day out deal with the suffering, with a sense of humbleness, gratefulness, and care for you that leaves your heart longing for more. Someday, you will come to understand that her maturity and her relationship with Jesus taught her how to draw you in and not push you away like you always experienced growing up. The treatments will begin, and St. Jude will do all they can with chemotherapies, radiation, and transplants. After two failed bone marrow transplants, Dax will be sent home to Washington, Illinois for the end of his life. The doctors tell you he won't make it till Christmas. Six weeks at the most. Cherish every moment. Once you arrive at home, the news of Dax's story will have already spread throughout the town. Neighbors will hold meetings to discuss how to love on you. Christmas lights will fill the streets before Halloween, and your story will be all over the television. One in particular night, a group of Christmas carolers will be on your front lawn, led by Jim Maloof. You don't know this man. You have no idea that he has helped Danny Thomas begin St. Jude. And you don't know that him and Sheriff McCoy, who were running under Dax's plane when St. Jude picked him up, they fundraised 365 days, of, 365 days a year of their lives so that you can rest, Julie, in the best care in the world. Dax's cancer story will end on December 30th, and he will make it to Christmas. Your heart will crumble. Grief will hit you for the first time in your life in a way that will leave you longing desperately. Leaving the hospital without your baby will be a car trip that you will never forget. No car seat no medicines, and no Dax. Shortly after Dax passes, you'll have a beautiful daughter and name her Madeline Elizabeth, after Michelle's daughter. <clears throat> this time of trial will eventually bring you to your niece. Hopelessness will overcome and you will give your life to the Lord. This new path will drive you to understand what Michelle had. You will fall hard and fast and go from a woman of the world to a woman of the word. This is when the healing begins. Once you fully trust that God is sovereign, you will be able to then store his promises and blessings in your heart. That is joy. 
Now your grief will begin to inspire you. Michelle, Jim Maloof, Sheriff McCoy will inspire you. God will place a huge desire on your heart to bring a Ronald McDonald House to Peoria and give families a taste of what you experience in Memphis, Tennessee. This house will be a home for families like you and Michelle to live and fight the battle together. It will keep families close to each other, and you know that is what is most important for the healing of the heart. In 15 days, Julie, the Peoria Ron McDonald House will open, serving 700 families a year. Like Mary did, store this treasure in your heart. God uses our mess for his message. Trust him, Julie, and do not lean on your own understanding ever. My favorite scripture I just wanted to close with is one that really um, is something that it's on my board in my kitchen. Isaiah chapter 25, verse one. Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you and praise your name for in perfect faithfulness, you have done wonderful things, things planned long ago. Thank you. Amazing. We are uh, we're thrilled Sheriff McCoy is now Chief McCoy and uh, an attender member here at uh, Connect Church and our police chief here in Washington still does a tremendous amount of work for St. Jude. Uh, in 15 days, the Ronald McDonald House will be opening in Peoria. Matthew West, who was in the movie and who sang the song, uh, is, is a famous singer-songwriter who's actually on tour now and couldn't be here for the opening, but he actually sent a video, didn't he? Should we take a look at his video? You guys are the first people to see this. <laughs> hey, everyone. It's Matthew West here. I just wanted to take a moment to say how excited I am to hear about the opening of the Ronald McDonald House in Peoria, Illinois. Uh, this marks the beginning of an amazing chapter in the story of this community, and I believe it's going to impact so many children and families who need the help of the Ronald McDonald House. I'm thinking about Dax Locke this Christmas. I'm thinking about Julie Locke, just an amazing person who's been on a mission to help children and families in need. My prayers for all the families who are going to walk through the doors of the Ronald McDonald House, and I wish you all a very Merry Christmas. <laughs> Would you join me in praying for Julie and echoing what Matthew said there, his prayer for every family that will walk through that home. So, Father God, thank you for the story of this incredible young lady, Lord, and the journey you've taken her upon. I truly see in her, Lord, and as I've got to know her over the years, that um, like Mary, she, she has this heart of just trusting you, God, on the journey. Trust in you that you are leading her, Lord. Um, God, she's done so much and it's so amazing. And uh, we know, Lord, that she would be the first to say that it's you that has driven her to this, that it's you that's taken her on this journey. So thank you, Lord, for the people along the way that played a part in her finding her way into a relationship with you. Lord, thank you for the people in this room who have found their way into a relationship with you through people in their lives. And Lord, as this home, this Ronald McDonald House opens in 15 days, we pray for every family that spends time in that house. Lord, we know that 
Uh, it is not a place that anyone would ever want to go because it is because of tragedy in their life that is bringing them there. So thank you, Lord, that in the midst of that difficult time, there will be somewhere that will feel like home. And if there is a way that any of us can be involved and contribute and, and be families that would be a family to them when they're at that place, help us to find a way to do that. Lord, continue to bless, bless Julie and her family, Lord. Um, and thank you for all that you have done, uh, both in her and through her. And we're just uh, excited for the, the grand opening here in a couple of weeks and all you're going to do through this great uh, new place in Peoria. We love you, Jesus. Amen.